Cool. So we're going to talk about Matthew chapter 7. So if you want to open your e-Bible, e-sword, get there, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we've been, for those of you who are new to the ark, we've been going through the book of Matthew for the entirety of this year, and, uh, and we're in chapter 7 now, that we're almost in September, so we'll get there soon. At first, I was like, we're going to go through the book of Matthew, it's going to take us a year, I know it's going to be a long time, hang on, we're on like the five-year path, but it's just so good, it's so good, it's not about uh, the destination, it's about the journey, that's what I'm telling myself. So let's read Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. Hang on to your scripture hat because we're going to read a lot today. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? This is Jesus speaking. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a a snake? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for the false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name did we not drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as the teachers of the law. So we came out of last week, and we were talking about the idea of ask, and it will be given to you, and how crazy this idea is that Jesus tells us, Ask, and it's going to be given to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And everybody who seeks, finds. Everybody who knocks, the door will be open. And then he goes on and he tells this parallel. Why do we have confidence to ask, seek, and knock with that kind of boldness? And he says, he gives a parallel. He says, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, though you're evil, think about your heavenly father. 
And so he makes this parallel. He says, why would you have the boldness to ask? It's pure, it's, it's really easy. To the extent that you get it, to the extent that you get the understanding that God is so much better than any earthly father you could possibly imagine. Take the best example of an earthly father in their greatest moment on earth and compare that to God and it's nothing. His goodness, his ability to extend blessing, his heart of love, who he is bubbles up with goodness and love in everything that he does, everything that he says, every moment, always. And if you get that, and you get that you're his child in this relationship, then you have a special dynamic with him. And I talked about my daughter, how she just comes up to me and says, Daddy, banana. <laughs> she, she doesn't even say, like, can I have a banana? She goes, Daddy, juice. <laughs> and so I'm trying to teach her how to ask because there's got to be respect in my house, and, I'm not, <laughs> and I have no respect. <laughs> But I love that kind of boldness that she has with me, that she can just be like, I know, I, I know who you are, and I know who you are to me. You've been it my whole life. So why would this be any different? Give me an apple, punk. Give me an apple. <laughs> no, just kidding about that part. But there's this goodness of God thing that we need to get in us. And when we get it in us, it changes not only our prayer life, it changes the way we live our life. Because there's this security around us. There's this, there's this father that we know that is always with us. And we saw that earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's your job. God's job? Add all these other things to you. Food, clothing, shelter, identity, all the most important things that are at the base of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. That's his deal. <laughs> Yours is to seek First, the kingdom and his righteousness. That's your deal. Let him be the father. And the crazy thing about this part of the passage is, this is earlier in Jesus' ministry. This is his first real teaching. And so what we're reading here is the conclusion of his first real teaching. Like he's coming to the end of it. And that's why we hear him say like, hey, it's not good enough just to hear what I'm saying. If you want to build your house on a foundation that's, that's strong, that's going to last, then you need to put this stuff into practice. Can't you just, like when you get that Jesus is pure love, you listen to that and you, and you, and you, you can like feel his heart reaching out to the group. Like, I'm giving you the keys of life right now. Don't miss this moment. Like the stuff I'm teaching you will change your world. Like, you're used to living in storms. You're used to getting beat up. That happens to the people that are righteous, and that happens to the people that aren't righteous. Both go into storms. Do this stuff, and you will weather them. Do this stuff, and you will have life. Like, you can just feel his heart reaching out to the crowd, being like, no, 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 you, you have got to get this. Like, not just hear it. Like, practice this stuff. And so we'll get there, but, but this is the culmination of, of Jesus' first sermon, one of the, the best teachings ever brought to the world. And so let's unpack it a little bit. So in verse 12, after this, out of coming the ask, seek, knock, and the, the good father part of it, it says, so, transition word, 
in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. The statement that this sums up the law and the prophets is a pretty crazy one. This is a few thousand years of prophetic insight from some of the most famous people in Israel's history, and then the law, which they basically built their life around. Jesus makes one statement, and he says in this one statement, that sums up all that other stuff. That's crazy. This audience will be like, wow, like that's, a, that's a bold, bold statement. And what's the statement he makes? Do to others what you would have them do to you. So simple, right? So simple. I love this statement because it flips selfishness on its head. It's like, hey, you know how it's really easy for you to know what you need? Yeah, do that for others, and you're good. It's like you're an expert in this. Yeah, yeah, you know that. Like, do that for other people, and that's, that's the will of God. That's the will of God. Should we end there? I mean, it's like, that's amazing, right? Like, it's not, this isn't, this isn't rocket science stuff. You want to know what all the law and the prophets say? They say, like, switch shoes with that person. And then what would you do? And then do that. That's God's will. That's the summation of it. But when you think about how hard it is to actually do this, that's where it gets really interesting. Because there's a collision with selfishness. If you could do this and it didn't cost you anything, it'd be super easy. You'd just like, you'd go, yeah, like, who doesn't want to do that, right? And this is kind of the thing about this statement is that I feel like most people hear this and go, yes, I would love to live like that if I could. Or yes, I would love to live like that if I felt like I had it in me to be able to do that. Does anybody feel like that? Like you hear it and you're like, count me all in, but I know what's actually in that and I don't know that I can do it. Like that's, that's a common response to this thing. And it's real. Like there's this collision of selfishness. There's a, when you do unto others as you would have them do unto you, that means there's usually something going out from your life that's entering into their life that costs you something. And it's real. It's real. This, this life that Jesus invites us into is not one where there's no cost. And it's an abomination of the gospel to talk about the life in Christ where it's just pure blessings flowing through and I got my heavenly father who says, Daddy, apple, and I get my apple and like all of that stuff. That's not the life. That's, that's obviously the part of it. Like he calls us to this because that stuff is there. But like we got to talk about what this selfless thing that he calls us to really looks like. I was, uh, so my, my back's been hurting me. Thank you guys for been praying for me. Uh, my lower back's been hurting me. And I was on the plane to Chicago for work. And uh, I'm on my phone doing work before the, the plane takes off. And I'm in an intense phone call. And this guy behind me goes, excuse me, sir. My wife and I were separated, and I'd love to swap seats. And I'm like, kind of in the middle of a call, so I'm a little frustrated, honestly. And then, so I'm like, oh, sorry, what? You know, like, hang on one sec. And then I'm like, dang it. Like, on the call, I'm like, dang it. You know, because I'm like, 
I know what the right thing to do here is, but my back hurts. He's giving me a middle seat for my aisle seat. That's not cool. Even if my back didn't hurt, that wouldn't be cool. Like, this guy is audacious to ask for such things. And so, you know, there's not some, like, maximum climax to this story. I got off the phone, and I was like, yeah, absolutely, like, take my seat, no problem. But I definitely had that, like, grind moment, right, where I was like, do I give up my seat? Like, and I feel like for me, oftentimes, the easier one is the big one, because I feel really good about that one. You know, like, there's a personal self-satisfaction thing about the thing. We went to Manila. I rose two people from the dead. <laughs> it was amazing, right? Like, there's this thing, or like, I led 50 people to Christ, you know? Not like I walked through a garbage village and I cleaned some people's feet. You know, like, the, the smaller ones feel like they rub me almost more than the bigger ones. And so this plane incident, I was just thinking that, like, and so, so I sit down in my middle seat, and the lady sitting next to me, she's like, I feel awful. They asked me first, and I said no. <laughs> and I'm like, I almost said no, too. But then I realized, and I said this to them, too. I'm like, if, that was, if, if, if my wife was sitting there, man, I would want to sit next to her. So, like, absolutely, let's do this, you know. And it's those little, you know, it's like the little things and the big things. But the thing is, it's like, it really smacks this selfishness thing in the face for us. It really, it really does. And the gospel is a beautiful thing, but it's a challenging thing. It's like Christ gave everything for you, so your response is to give everything to him. And when you give everything to him, what that means is sometimes you're not looking out for your best because you're, you're busy looking out for the best of other people. And I think when we hear it, we go, man, that's a hard call. And it is a hard call. And Jesus recognizes it as a hard call. Especially in this, he says, narrow is the gate. And not very well trodden is the path that leads to life. What's crazy about Jesus' teaching here is that the path to life so looks like the path to death. Right? Like, what do you mean the path of life is for me to be selfless in the world? What do you mean the path of life for me is to have my whole perspective as I walk around is like, where do I get to love right now? Where do I get to sacrifice? Where do I get to give to somebody else who's in need? Like, how is that the path of life? That does not feel like the path of life. That feels like a constant grind against my flesh where I'm frustrated. Like, really? I have to give like this too? Okay, I guess I'll give that. But what Jesus promises is he says, contrary to what you would expect, contrary to your own understanding and what the world will tell you and anybody except for me will tell you, me being Jesus, not me being me, but I'll tell you it too, is that this is actually the path of life. It looks like foolish. The cross of Christ looks like foolishness to people, but this is actually the path of life. Come into a relationship with Jesus. Have such a relationship where, where the base of your pyramid is, is, is secure and satisfied in him. And from that place, you can be loved to the world. 
Because it's really hard to love a world that you need something from. It's really hard to love a world that you need something from. To the extent that we have this good father, good child thing that we just came out of in the Sermon on the Mount in us, then we can be open-handed with our stuff. And to the extent that we're closed-handed with our stuff, it's because, man, I'm in crisis right now. Like, I don't know that I can give, but the crazy part is, is usually, usually we're called to give in a place that feels super risky. Like, the call of the Christian life is not just to hang out, you know, and, and wait for the Lord to fill all of your insecurities, and then once he does that, then you move out in faith and say, okay, now I'm in the place where I can do this thing. It's to push the bounds of trust with Jesus constantly. You push the bounds of trust with Jesus always where you're like, man, I know you're good and I've seen you show up into this measure and now you're calling me to this measure. And through giving this extra step of faith, that's where you come and you show yourself to be sufficient. It's like I step forward and then he shows me that he was there all along. But that step forward, that step forward, that has a lot to do with the path of life. That has a lot to do with the narrow gate. It is so much easier to live life leaning on our own understanding. That is this big, beautiful gate that says, never feel uncertain. You know, like, everybody else is going through this one. And then there's this little one over here with Jesus standing as the gate, saying, like, no, 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 no. You don't find your security in the things of the world. You find your security in me. And in that, to the extent that you find security in me, then everything else will be secure. You've built your foundation on the rock. Come through this gate. And that's the invitation. But it's a narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many will enter through it. And small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been saying this, this, he's been declaring this radical lifestyle. He starts with the Beatitudes, and he goes, blessed are the meek, for they'll see God. Blessed are those who poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. He talks about all of these different things, and he's, he's showing this lifestyle of what life in him looks like, and then he comes to the end And he says, you know, all of this stuff, the fighting for reconciliation, the loving people from your heart, prioritizing them with authentic love and sacrifice, trusting God with the things that you need in life, not seeking the approval of people is a huge theme in in six, but the approval of God only, knowing God as amazing father, leaning on him for everything, finding your security in him. And then he comes to this and he goes, all of that life, that's a narrow path. It's a beautiful life, but it's a narrow path. And then he comes to the end and he says, you know what it looks like to lean on this stuff? You know what it looks like is you hear these words, but then you put these words into practice. Francis Chan, anyone a Francis Chan fan in here? Francis Chan's legit. Francis Chan was pastoring a church, I believe it was in Simi Valley. Can someone confirm? Yeah. Simi Valley. And he had a, like a big, nice church thing going. He was the pastor of a good-sized church. Everything was good. He started praying, and he started, like, this is my version, so 
I've never heard his version, but this is my version. <laughs> it's his life. I'm making it what I want it. <laughs> As I know it, you can confirm this. Um, he's pastoring the church. He starts to feel kind of prodded by God, like, this is an awesome church, but I have something different for you. And so he starts to feel a transition, which a lot of pastors do. Like, that's how it goes. God moves you on. And he starts praying about it, and he really feels like he's supposed to move on. So he's coming up to his last sermon at this church. And so he sits before the Lord. And I love Francis Chan because he's got this reverence. If you've ever watched him preach, he does this thing where he goes like this. (laughs) Feeling under the weight of God. Watch some of his stuff. He'll probably do it. But he's got this like reverence for the Lord where he's like, Lord, like every time I get up there in front of your people, I want to speak the words that you have. Like, tell me, tell me what you want to say to them for my last sermon. Built this church and all this stuff. What do you want to say to them for the last sermon? And the Lord, the Lord gave him this like incredibly challenging word for his church. And it was basically like, this is a big church. There's a lot of people in here. There's a lot of people in here who think they're saved and who think they're walking with Jesus, and you're not. And he was like, the most loving thing that I can do for you right now is to tell you that and to just tell you, like, just just take a step back. Just look at your life. Does it look like following Jesus? Does it look like prioritizing his needs? Does it look like making his agenda first? Or do you have your agenda baked and then you kind of sprinkle him into some stuff that makes you feel about good about your eternal destiny? And he preaches his message to, to his congregation, basically saying just like, I need you guys to check yourself because it's a really healthy thing to do. And I think Jesus is in a similar thing here, right, where he's like, he's not doing this to be mean. He's not doing this because he's like trying to scare some people for the sake of fear. He's doing it because he's like, nothing matters more than this. Like all the stuff that feels really important and interesting right now, it actually doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. There's going to be a day, and he talks about it in here, where you stand before him And some people will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all this awesome stuff? And he'll say, I never knew you. And so he he throws it out there like, let me tell you what the path of life looks like. And, And he throws it out like, a lot of people won't choose this. But some will. And that's what I'm going for. And so I think we can't, read, we can't read a passage like this where he makes statements like these and not just kind of like pause and pull back and be like, the life that he invites us to is one of lordship. It's of lordship. At the end of the passage, he says, he says, um, let me just read it. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He repeats, hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. It's about putting them into practice. The one that differentiates the first from the second is do you put them into practice? That is Lordship 101. Right? Like if I go to my work and my boss is like, hey, I need you to do all this stuff. I'm like, awesome. I'm in. Got it. I know what you want. And then I do none of it. 
right? Like, what's my, bo- what's my boss going to say? It's like, what, what happened here? Like, you didn't do any of the stuff that would indicate to me that you really, like, when you call me boss, does that, what does that mean to you, right? <laughs> like, you didn't do anything. I'm not your boss, effectively, and I'm really not your boss now because you're out of here. <laughs> but I think there's, like, this thing where he's like, hey, there's a reason why they come and say to him, Lord, Lord. I've done all this cool stuff, but the Lord, Lord piece is like, what level of priority are you having right now? And I'm not saying this to be a jerk. Hear my loving heart in this. Like, but what level of priority in your heart do you have right now that he is first and foremost in the stuff that you're going after? Like whether you're an incoming student, it's like, welcome to Berkeley. I loved my college years. Uh, I, halfway through it. The first half sucked. The first half sucked. God interrupted me in a keg party and told me that I was insecure and that I needed, you know, a better foundation, basically. But, like, after that, I had all of this time to seek the Lord. It was, like, really awesome. But, man, if I could do it over again, it would be so, I would be so thankful. Like, I actually wouldn't even care about grades because I'd be studying unto his glory. And if the grades followed, awesome. If they didn't, awesome. I wasn't doing it for grades. I was doing it for my king. When I go to work, how does that flip things on its head? You don't go to work to get promotion. What? <laughs> Blasphemy. <laughs> what are you saying? You don't go to work to get more money. What? <laughs> Blasphemy. You go to work because you're called to the marketplace. You're called to be salt and light in that place. You're called to go in and prioritize the people around you and love them and elevate them. And so the bitterness thing that happens when you get looked over for a promotion, that's not why you're there anyway. You're there with him as Lord first. And you go, God, I'm going to work unto you as the best I can. And what your agenda is always is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so that's who I'm going to be in my office. And if the other stuff comes, the other stuff comes. That's your deal. That's not my deal. It changes, it flips everything. Like it changes, it feels like such a shuttle shift, but it's, it's actually not. It changes everything about the way that you can live with peace, that you can live with joy, that you can actually be freed up to love people. You don't need anything from your boss anymore. You don't need anything from your professor anymore. You don't need the best assignment in your class. You can give it to somebody else. You don't need the best assignment at work. You're going to have joy whether you get it or not. And so like your whole life orientation, the call is your life orientation. It's the whole deal. You know, it's like, it's the whole thing. And this is the, this is the life that God calls us to. This is, this is the path to life. It doesn't feel like life when you, when you break it down sometimes, but this is the path of life. And so what it really comes down to is do we trust Jesus more than our understanding? Do we trust him when we go, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't fit with my logic? And he's like, yeah, my kingdom's upside down. It doesn't fit with your logic. Glad we've established that. <laughs> Let's keep living now. And so this is the challenge that I want to throw for you guys. The last piece that I wanted to touch on is that the storms of life, what we see at the end of this, the storms of life have, a, have, have this, this way of revealing who's Lord. 
The storms of life have a a way of revealing who's Lord. And like I said before, both feel like they're building. In this case, the false prophets, they actually think they're building something significant. Like they come to him and they say, Lord, didn't I build this like awesome thing? And he goes, no, like you were building on the sand the whole time. I never even knew you. Like you never even got close to me and opened your heart to me. Like that's where this whole thing begins. Like you never, you never, you never pulled back that, that fear thing and like leaned into me with an open heart. Like we didn't even start there. Like how are you supposed to live love when, when, when I didn't even get in close? But there's this, like, there's this thing where the storms happen on both sides. For the people that are building with their foundation and their anchor in God, and for the people that aren't, and the storms come, and what happens in those moments, and again, this isn't to scold anyone. This is for us to be like, wow, I didn't even realize that I was building in that area completely selfishly. It collapsed and my world fell apart. Like when you've built on God as your foundation, that does not happen. It doesn't happen. Because life's not for you. Do you see how that works? Like usually when something falls apart, we've built something that's really cool and beautiful, and then a storm comes and it comes down. The reason why it can take us out is because we are actually building for us in that area. That's the only way it can crumble. If you're building for God in that area, no storm can take that out. It's stored up in heaven in a vault that can't be touched. You're living for his glory. It's like, yeah, pound away. <laughs> you know, like, maybe not that far, but it's like, you can't, you can't touch that part. Like, my joy isn't derived from what I've built in that area. So it doesn't crumble when the storms come. I've seen a lot of people in the arc of late, uh, a lot's generous, but a number of people losing their jobs of late. And man, I have been so incredibly impressed and proud of the way that those people have navigated this storm. It totally shows what's really underneath. And what, what's, what I've seen is underneath is trust. It's like, I don't know what's going on. Kind of frustrated, been doing this a while. I don't know what Jesus is up to, but I'm in. Like, maybe it's not that simple, but you talk to somebody who doesn't have their life anchored in Christ, and it's like, I've lost my job. The wheels are coming off of my life. Because of that, I have so much stress in my marriage. I can't even focus on my kids because my, my job is all out of whack and I'm living with so much fear. It's like, it feels like a subtlety, but when it happens... You see the real deal. You see the real deal. What have I built? What have I built? How am I doing? And this is Jesus' concluding statement. Basically, it's like, let's do this thing. Like, when you're reading your Bible, this isn't an exercise in education. This is finding keys of life so that you can put them into practice and walk with the most amazing, generous, powerful, beautiful person on earth and lock hands and do life together with him as the head and you as the follower. 
And so Jesus exits this amazing part of Scripture, the, the Sermon on the Mount, by letting us know, man, put these things into practice. This is the, this is the path to life. And he leaves it at that. Do you have anything you want to say? So the last part of this is one of, I don't know if I can say my favorite part of scripture. Is that even blasphemous? I don't know. Well, today it's my favorite part of scripture. Um, The part where it talks about um, the two foundations, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine does not act on them but will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. I remember, um, some of you guys know, but um, right after I graduated from college, I shared that I basically gave God a life tithe, and I said, you know, I was about 20 at the time, so you, so life tithe, the tithe is about a tenth, and so two years, and so for two years, I was going to do whatever he wanted me to do, not that I wasn't later, but, you know, very explicitly, like, okay, and so I ended up going on missions, and this was the, this was the, pa- the passage that God spoke to me, and when, before I left, I had prayed, and I had written a letter, and I said, this is what I want, Lord. God, I want to know your love. I don't want it to be an idea. I want it to be, like, the most concrete fact of my life that's ever existed, and I prayed that, and when I showed up, actually, um, I don't know if they're here. We have some missionaries in Perth, Australia, and it was a youth with a mission base, and um, and so when I went to Youth of the Mission, they always pray and they, like, hand you a scripture, you know, when you show up. At least they did at that time. And that was the past. That was also the scripture that they gave me. And so I was like, oh, my. It was, it was pretty insane. But, like, during that time, um, I felt like God established um, a lot. I got to see a lot of people come to the Lord. I got to um, basically lived off of very little. And um, when I came back from missions and having all this really amazing experience, my life pretty much fell apart pretty rapidly afterwards. Um, Grad school, I went to grad school, and I don't know if grad students, some of you guys, it was like the worst year of my entire stinking life. I've never had a worse year than that year that I was in grad school. Seriously, (laughs) right? Like every, I I was probably, you know, it was like, I felt like the storms had come, and at that time, and then my wedding got indefinitely del- <laughs> deleted, <laughs> and, you know, and, like, everything, right, like, and job and everything, but, you know, I was just actually with um, Lauren. We were just sitting across the street yesterday, I think, or no, two days ago on Friday, Across the street from the house that God provided for me that wasn't mine, but someone else just invited me to live in. And I recognize, and you know, everyone always asks me, man, that must have been such a horrible time in your life. And I was like, yeah, I was homeless. But, you know, I'll be really honest. That was like the most freeing, joyful time that I've ever had. Um, (laughs) Husbandless, moneyless, jobless, (laughs) houseless, but... Jesus full. And 
it was, and so I think like, until you really lose everything, the threat of losing everything is always really scary. But when you really have nothing but you have the Lord and you actually see him come through in that place, all of a sudden no storm is that scary. There is no promise. Like honestly, guys, like we're not, like we do say a lot of times, like once you follow Jesus and you do things his way, things will kind of get set right. There's an alignment in the way that he's designed life to live. But at the same time, the other side of that is, there is a promise that the storms will come. There's not a promise that once you become a Christian, that everything's going to be great. You're every marriage. You're never going to fight. You know, you're always going to have something to live. You're always going to have a job. None of that is true. <laughs> That's not the promise. But the promise is, though, is that even when those things happen, you have, you have your feet, you have your legs to stand. You've got a foundation under your feet. And honestly, there is a supernatural amount of peace if you allow that to take root and really become the thing you stand on. Nothing else can scare you, you know? Um, and so, like, I just want to pray that we would be able to really um, enter into that place because <sighs> when there's no fear in our heart, I feel like there's, we can do anything, you know? Like, we can do anything. Um, and so I just want to um, invite everyone to stand Get the, let's get the worship team up here. Yeah, and have the worship team come. <laughs>